You are now tuned in to Saved and Woke. Yes, I am. What up, everybody? It's your boy, MSW. That's Mr. Saved and Woke, also known as Juan Enrique to say, here with another episode of the Saved and Woke podcast. So it's been a minute since I've had a special guest, and I got to tell you, I went on a break and came back with that straight heat because my guest for today, Nefernity, is a powerhouse. Uh, she, I won't, I won't belabor the time. I'm just gonna go ahead and get right into it because she explains everything with her background. She shares so just a huge wealth of knowledge, just a little, just uh, the tip of the iceberg when it comes to the wealth of knowledge that she has regarding the gospel, regarding the history of Christianity, particularly uh, African contributions to early Christianity. So, without further ado, enjoy. All right, everybody, I am here with Nefer Nitty. Am I pronouncing that correctly? Yes. Cool. Um, and you also you go by Nephi as well? Yes. Cool. So I am very, very excited to, to have this conversation right now. Um, I've only recently become, you know, become aware of your platform. I, I follow you on, on Instagram. And I, I, like I shared with you before, I saw you on, I think, the Ann campaign had reposted one of your, one of your quotes. And I was like, that was on point. And so I went <laughs> to your page and yeah. Um, what, what, what drew me to your, I guess what, what, what I like so much about your content is that so much for, for such a long period of my life, um, when people would talk about how Christianity was forced on um, enslaved Africans um, as a as a as a means to to pacify them and or to to rationalize slave trade, um, and that so much of what we consider modernized Christianity was created in Europe and is what was originally what the what their, uh, the apostles and definitely not Jesus was actually talking about. And so when I would be faced with that, like I was still it wasn't I still believe that Christ you know was king, but I didn't have. I didn't have anything to say. And I was like, well, I mean, yeah, white people did do that. They did force it on us. However, you know, we can still distinguish between the truth of the gospel um, and the lies that were, that, that they tried, tried, that tried to feed us. And that is, you know, that's a, a true argument. However, I recently become aware. I just like starting to listen to, to even other podcasts, like the, the Jew three podcast and hearing of other, um, theologians like um <clears throat> theologians and pastors who are just conscious and know not just theology but church history um the ones that come to mind are eric mason uh jerome uh, and jerome gay and they just completely they attack this narrative in angles that i didn't even know were available to me and what i liked about your content was that you could just so confidently and smoothly and articulately um convey those those same those same ideas and i just enjoy i enjoy the vigor that you that you uh post with um, and i'm we're going to get to you sharing your your socials at the end but i highly suggest right now man like just know at the end of this the end of this episode i want every all of my listeners to go and follow <clears throat> nephew on all her platforms um but so nephew could you please just give us some background on who you are, um, your how you were introduced to to Christianity, and how you c came to be what I consider uh, a woke Christian. Okay, uh, so my mother is Afro-Cuban. I always start there. Uh, my father's African American. His father is uh, from South Carolina, a Geechee boy, as he would uh, say. <laughs> so my family is very Afrocentric. My mother raised me, you know, going to black bookstores, reading about history, attending lectures, that type of thing. Um, always very cultural. Uh, but I was also raised Catholic. And 
my family did engage in syncretism, my mother's family. And so we practiced the Yoruba tradition of Ifa. Um, and my grandmother also practiced Santeria. So I grew up like learning in Sunday school before mass about the Ten Commandments and how we should have no other gods. And yet, you know, on other days, we were out here trying to appease these other gods. And it was like, mm, this is a little confusing for me. So at the age of approximately, I want to say like maybe 12, around there, um, I approached my mother with this dilemma that I was having, this conflict. And she was gracious enough to allow me to follow my own convictions. So I departed from uh, the tradition of Ifa, and I just remained Catholic. But, you know, I was like a loose practicing you know i go to church because grandma makes me go to church it wasn't like i'm studying the bible it wasn't nothing like that um and then when i was 16 thereabouts i was introduced to a guy um by the name of anthony browder his books um and i read his book from the browder file and it's 22 essays on the african-american experience and it talks about um, Kemet or ancient Egypt and how a lot of what we see in America was taken from Kemet and repackaged and rebranded as of, as if it were of European invention. And that kind of really sat with me because I had experienced racism. I had experienced, you know, the sentiment of being a second class, you know, citizen as an African-American, as a black girl, you know, um, and that resonated with me and I just ate it up. And so alongside um, all of these things that he's saying was stolen from Kemet, he also threw Christianity in there and said all these, made all these claims about, you know, Jesus is copied from this and that, and this is what really happened. And, and me being as impressionable and as emotional as I was in this uh, context, I just ate it up, you know. Um, so I wound up departing from Christianity for a number of years until uh, basically, long story short, I had like a spiritual experience. I had been seeking, trying to find out what the truth was. Because in the practice of Ifa, for, you know, just in case your listeners aren't familiar, there it is very heavily engaged in communication with spirits, very heavily engaged with communication with ancestors and what is known as the Arisha, which are like, um, like uh, basically deities, they're deities. Um, and so nobody could ever tell me God wasn't real because I have seen people get possessed and behave in superhuman ma- you're not going to convince me that there aren't spirits but the question was who is the true god who is the true spirit i should be following and so in that endeavor i found that christ actually answered that um and then i began to reapproach what i had been taught by browder and by others like him ashra kowesi um shank anta diop i started reading and researching beyond what they say in their books and it was just like mm, why y'all lying to me i was I originally became, you know, what we now call a hotep. You know, I originally became one as a result of being angered by the fact that white supremacy had stolen my history, right? And lied to me. And then now I'm finding out that the people who exposed me to that were also in their own ways lying to me. And, you know, it doesn't mean that it was always intentional, but it, it, it's hard. I'm hard pressed. <laughs> I'm hard pressed to say that it wasn't simply because the claims that they make that originate in Egypt, when you go look in Egypt, you don't, they're not there. They're not there. Um, so that's how I basically came back to Christianity. And so I've always been very vocal. Um, it's just part of my personality. Whatever I'm passionate about, I speak on. So I was passionate about being a, a member of the conscious community. I was telling people Christianity is the white man's religion. I was telling people to, to look into Jesus being hail Zeus and all these absurd claims that they make, right? So now that I'm a Christian, everybody, you know, when you become a Christian, the first thing you want to do is evangelize and tell other people and bring them to the fold. And, and so in my, in my experience in doing that, I encountered people not only in the street, but also on social media who had these questions that I had already gone through. I'd already faced these questions, so I was prepared to answer them. And so that's how I basically came into this urban apologetics little sphere thing. Cool. Thank you for that. And before we continue, um, I just want to make this slight, uh, make, make, make somewhat of a disclaimer. So like right now, the, at the recording of this episode, um, we are still, the country is still reeling from <clears throat> the killing of George Floyd. And we've just so recently lost Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery and who knows how many countless others who just haven't been 
videotaped. Um, and so I, I, I'm trying to put myself in the place of some of my listeners when, and I feel like people might be kind of confused, like Juan, why are you talking about this right now? You know, and the reason, and I just, I don't know any way to say it other than to say it. It's because in times like these, I, we, we need Jesus. We need God all the time, but especially in times like these, but in times like these, I feel like people in general, but it's especially black people who are the victims of violence perpetrated by the hands of people who claim to be Christians, who claim to be, um, you know, often the, uh, the authorities on what, on what holiness and righteousness is, you know, and a lot of times like it's times like these when black people are often pushed away and fall away from the faith. Um, and so I think it's important for us to talk about what the truth is so that in addition to, you know, well, not in addition to, so that our responses can be led, can be led by, by the spirit. And we need to talk, have this conversation because we're talking today, by the way, um, just on is Christianity, the white man's religion. And clearly I can, you can probably tell by now what uh nephew's point of view is. And y'all already know my point of view. Um, but this is important because racism, I heard Kimini Yuan said this, he said, racism is a stumbling block. Racism is a stumbling block. And in the context of the Bible, stumbling block, and well, uh, I was, I was raised in, um, I guess, pretty, I mean, non-denominational, but still fairly traditional uh, churches in the South. And we hear, when you hear, uh, what does it call it, uh, churchanese so much, you kind of lose the meaning of certain terms. And a stumbling block, sometimes people throw that around. Like I used to kind of joke around when I was dating my wife, like, you know, we were trying to, we were, we were, you know, being holy and waiting until marriage. And I would tell my wife, I was like, I'm well, my then girlfriend. I was like, you know, when you wear that uh, sleeveless dress or whatever, I, you know, that's a stumbling block to me. I need you, I need you to not wear that. Um, but stumbling blocks are serious. They have grave complications. A stumbling block is anything that keeps someone from believing in Christ, from living out their faith in Christ, from making disciples and from, you know, from following the will of God. And if you, and if you don't believe in Christ, like the Bible is very clear about your eternal, your eternal future. And so Racism has eternal implications because it keeps people from believing in Christ because of these false narratives that that um, that say that Christianity is the white man's religion. And one of your favorite quotes before I get into my first question, I thought was funny. I was like, wow, that's what's up. You said it was a post. I don't remember exactly what, when you posted it, but it said Christianity is a white man's religion, a lie perpetrated by the white man. <laughs> 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 and I thought that was so dope. Um, yeah, so I feel like when people, I think it's interesting that you uh, that you that you say that because I feel like a lot of times, like when when black people talk about like make the claim that you know Christianity is the white man's religion, they they say it like it's they've made some grand discovery. And I was like, Nah, man, this is not this. this first of all, this is not even your lie. Like this is a lie that they made up, and that you are you are feeding from from white supremacy, basically, it's because you haven't either, you either haven't done enough research or you ignored the information that's already there. Um, so that's why we're having this conversation because we need, like I said, we need God always, but we definitely need him now. So my first question, Nephi, I'm gonna stop talking now. So why, is it, so why do you feel, especially regarding these times, like it's important for, us to contend against these narratives that tout uh, white or Eurocentric, the, the white or Eurocentric nature of Christianity? I think you said it. I think you said it perfectly. Um, people, people fall away from the faith. I often tell people that this is life and death to me. When I engage in a conversation with someone online, to me, it's life and death. When they're, you know, talking about, um, Christianity being stolen from somewhere or the fact, the idea that our ancestors were forced to believe these things. Um, there are, like you said, eternal ramifications for those positions. And while I don't believe that facts necessarily save people, I do believe that 
misunderstandings and misapprehensions of history and of the gospel will definitely, as you stated, be a stumbling block um, and, and, and can definitely put up a barrier between the person's heart and following God because it's a false image of who God is um, and what he represents and what he stands for. So, you know, I, I don't think that I don't think that there is an inappropriate time to have this conversation. It's always relevant. Mm-hmm. As long as I'm black and I'm Christian, this conversation is relevant. Um, I like that. I, I think we're capable of having more than one conversation at a time. Mm-hmm. I, I just got off of Facebook. And if, when we go back, you'll see me in this same outfit <laughs> on a live because the, uh, the, the, the officer who had his knee in brother George Floyd's neck was arrested. And I was admonishing my fellow believers like, yo, we cannot let up the pressure that we're applying politically just because this one officer was arrested when the people have been crying for the arrest of four. Um, And justice has yet to be served. We're the only people who celebrate at an arrest. An -hmm. arrest is typically, um, it's a given, right? The celebration doesn't take place until the gavel bangs. Um, And so that's just five minutes ago. And then I easily switched up to have this conversation. So we're capable of multitasking and all of these things are interrelated. And I have seen people posting on social media that their faith is being rocked and challenged. Where is Jesus in all of this? Why can't God stop the evil from happening to us? Um, And and so on and so forth. And so, yes, the conversation is needed. Um, And and I find that if we're silent, especially in these times, that it's bad enough to be silent generally. I admonish leadership and, and, and lay people alike constantly to be prepared to answer these questions in times of general calm, because there's always a soul out there in turmoil who may need the answers to these questions. But when the, the situation is heightened as it is right now, God forbid we be silent about who God is in a situation like this and let somebody tell us we can't have this conversation right now. Let's talk about something else. I don't think so. Thank you. You said it right there. So but how can like how can we be sure and you can go off uh, for as long as you want about this how can we be sure that modern christianity wasn't invented by by europeans because i know a lot of christians like i'm just now coming into i wouldn't even say advanced but just oh yeah we'll we'll call it that more more quote-unquote advanced knowledge of of church of church history so how can people really be sure? Because I know like people tend to only know whatever's in here, if they know that. I was about to say. <laughs> um, so how, yeah, how can we be sure that Christianity wasn't um, created by uh, Europeans, specifically uh, by Constantine? People like tell him all the time for creating Christianity. Okay, so there's several ways to approach this. Number one, it's not even number one. It's just the first one I'm going to say. They're not in any order. But prophecy, prophecy was a huge way of um, reopening my understanding uh, and and changing my approach of how I saw the Bible when I was coming out of being a member of the conscious community. Um, Seeing the timelines and the claims that the Bible made and then when they were fulfilled. And seeing the commonalities throughout the different gospels and throughout the different um, books from different authors over generations, over hundreds of years. Nobody is smart enough to do that, bro. Like who, no, y'all give the white man too much credit. He is not that smart. Nobody's that smart. I'm not saying the white man is done, but I'm definitely saying that it requires a certain level of genius to put together the Bible that we have, especially if we study it. So that's one. The Bible itself is an, a, a testament to the fact that it could not have been written. And when I say written, I mean um, it could not have originated with man. We know that it was the, the hands of men that moved, but it was the spirit that spoke through them. Um, that's one. So another one is there are records of Christians, but not only Christians, Christians who are being persecuted and martyred, killed by Romans prior to Constantine ever even being thought of, before him being conceived, 
Constantine is just a name everybody likes and they just throw all of these accusations upon his name and all these accolades. And like I said, they like to give him so much credit without investigating as to whether any of these things are true. Um, Constantine did not come up with the name Jesus. Constantine did not put together the Bible. The Council of Nicaea had nothing to do with canon, which is what we understand to be acceptable scripture, the Bible that we have. That, that council had nothing to do with that. But a, a lie often repeated becomes the truth in the minds of the hearer. So we've heard it so much, we just take it for granted. Oh, okay, yeah, Constantine, you know, uh, you know Christianity was just beaten into the answers. That, that's something that we just believe because we've heard it so much. Um, but that doesn't make it true. And so it does, I think, require a certain level of sincerity and genuineness on the part of the reader and the part of the person who's questioning to actually conduct some investigation beyond the person, the words of whoever you're listening to. So I think that education plays a, a, a huge role simply because a lot of times people aren't taught how to investigate things. We think that reading is researching. Reading ain't researching, babe. Reading is a part of research. But if you're taking everything you read at face value, then you're not conducting research. You have to fact check what some author says happened at the Council of Nicaea. Where did they get this idea from? What documents are they reading to put this in this book? By what authority are you saying this? This is how we conduct research. And when you do that, you will find that all of these fallacious, I want to say 99.5% of all of these fallacious claims um, are false. And then the other 0.5% are somehow taken out of context. Um, and so we have the history of, like I said, martyrs. There are records, uh, Felicitas and Perpetua. This is the year 202. They're being killed under uh, Septimus uh, Severus, who issued an edict to kill Christians, basically. Um, and, and we have documents. We have actual historical records. These women I just referred to, one of them wrote a diary about how she was being persecuted and how she was in jail and how her father came to visit her and told her to read renounce her Christianity um, so that she wouldn't die. And what did she do? She got killed. So this, again, this is a black woman long before Constantine. And I think also I'll take this second to, to, to issue a caveat. And that is the only reason why race even matters. The only reason why I have to highlight that the woman is black is because Europeans have done so much to besmirch the name of Christ that we associate anything having to do with Europeans as evil, right? And so we have to be able to show that there is a distinction between, like you said earlier, between white supremacist Christianity and that, you know, that version or that ideology and what's actually written in the Bible. And that leads me to, to back to the Bible again for my third point. And how do we, how do we assess that Christianity is not in fact the white man's religion? The white man ain't living by the book, bruh. If you hold him to the standard, and I'm not talking about a whole race of people being condemned. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the idea, the, the, the avatar of the white man that we have in our mind, the slave holding, slave whipping, beating, raping, that guy, that man stealing guy was not abiding by the Bible. And so how can the faith have belonged to him or him have created it and he doesn't abide by it? If I was going to create a religion, one, if I was going to create a religion, first of all, the writings of that religion, the oracles, the documents are going to be centered on me. Why is the white man so very little spoken of in the Bible? It's people of color who are the main focus in the Bible. Why would I write a book about everybody else and then say that's my religion? It makes no sense. Secondly, I'm, if I'm going to write a book or create a religion, that religion is going to serve me. It's going to be self-serving. If it's man-made, it has to serve man, right? Yeah. But why then does the Bible condemn the behavior of slave catchers? If, because another, you did mention Constantine, but another thing that people often argue is that Christianity was invented as a tool specifically to oppress Africans in, in, in conjunction with the slave trade. If that's the case, why does the Old Testament and the New Testament both condemn man stealing and selling off human beings? Why? Wouldn't they have left that part out? And this is why also they actually redacted the Bible when they did allow slaves to read it. They only allowed us to have certain portions of it. And that, and those were portions like slaves obey your master. But then they didn't, they didn't, just a few verses down, if you keep reading, it says, and you masters also be kind towards them because you know that you have a master who is the same as their master that you have to answer to. Let's leave that part out before the slaves think that 
they're equal to us. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so I think all of these things, upon an intelligent analysis of history and of what the Bible actually teaches, condemns and dismantles this whole idea that Christianity is the white man's or invented by the white man um, for the purpose of, of oppressing us. Mm -hmm. Wow. <laughs> that was dope. Thank you so much. I'm going to come back. I'm going to ask about some of the resources later on, but there was one thing in one of your, your, I guess, fairly recent posts um, that uh, I think I mentioned when I, when I reached out to you was your, maybe not so much a conversation, but your back and forth that you had with Dr. Umar Johnson about his, his claim that while, you know, he, I, I don't know, I don't know if he, he wasn't saying that Christianity in its entirety was Europeanized, but he pretty much was because he was saying that the Council of Nicaea um, in 325 was um, the beginning of the Europeanization and Jesus was not believed, was not widely believed even by Christians to be the son of God until the council of Nicaea. And before I let you answer that, one thing, another thing that I think like trips people up is that a lot of times, well, one, I think we, we approach these situations in a way that's, I would say ungodly. Like we come, we, we approach these situations. Like when we have friends or family members who are, you know, they're seeking truth and they have what they think is truth. And we're, we're trying to enter the, we're trying to win a debate. We're trying to win an argument. We're not trying to win debates. We're trying to win souls. He who wins souls is wise. We're supposed to walk in love. A lot of like, like I heard, I don't know who said this, but it's like you win, win an argument, you lose a friend. Um, and oftentimes in these debate type situations, and like I said, most people don't know anything outside of the Bible if they know that much. And so if you talk about the Council of Nicaea, which is not mentioned in the Bible, obviously, because it was hundreds of years later, People get tripped up and it's just like, oh, dang. And then, so you look, you look like you don't know. And it looks like the person who knows a term that, that you don't know is correct. They don't know the context of the term, but they just know it and you do not. And I just, I think that's part of it as well, because in the base, you're always trying to one up somebody. And when you can say Council of Nicaea, or when you can say Constantine, or what, and even the term... <laughs> I don't know why people like a lot of times people talk about, you know, the, even the term like Judeo-Christian belief system, just hearing that will like, like I, I see people who don't know so much about the history, the history of our religion. And then they're like, you see that kind of like deer in the headlight look where they got lost, you know, and it's, it's just uh, this, the one-upsmanship that um, uh, our lost brothers and sisters, the Hoteps um, enter arguments with. And when we meet them with that, I, that's one I don't feel like I mean I, God can use us in many different ways but unless we're being led by the spirit of God which I don't think is um, trying to be combative we definitely combat evil we combat the, we combat the enemy um, but our battles against flesh and it's not against flesh and blood but it's about against principality so we when we come at it with a certain way I don't feel like the Holy Spirit is empowering us to, to do his work. I don't think we're about doing his work when we're trying to, when we're trying to win arguments. Um, but back to the original thing um, about Umar's claim, <clears throat> Dr. Johnson's claim about uh, the European, the supposed European claim that, G that Jesus um, is the son of God being belonging to them and starting at 325. So how, how does, like, what, do, what do you say to that basically? Okay, um, <laughs> I just don't know where he got that from. You know, respectfully, I, I practice in my uh, law practice education law, and he is a big proponent of the proper education of African-American children, particularly black boys, right? So I respect him for that. Um, but he is not a doctor of religion or history or like where he got this idea. It's just some it's just something I feel like he pulled out of thin air. And because he has that title, again, people will just accept what he says at face value without challenging it. Um, 
So I think that oftentimes it's odd because the Christian then bears the burden of proving him wrong, but nobody held him to that standard to make him prove what he was saying to begin with, right? Mm, yeah. um, so, but how do I respond to that? There are ancient church fathers who have written tons of volumes uh, in defense of Christianity since the first century. Um, we have surviving manuscripts from some of these individuals who wrote extensively about the deity of Christ, about the personhood of Christ, about the personhood of the Holy Spirit, about who these individuals are and what they believed them to be and all of these things. Um, you know, so you can, you can look into history, church history, and find uh, titles written by Origen or um, Tertullian. You can find these, these ancient African church fathers. These particular ones that I'm, I'm referring to happen to be Africans. It's part of my field. Again, I, I don't want to mislead anyone into thinking that it's because they're African that it holds credence. Um, no, but the fact of the matter is they were writing and they were in Africa and it was far before the Council of Nicaea. The Bible itself predates the Council of Nicaea. And in the Bible, it says that Jesus is the son of God. Now, what that term implies often, you know, and I don't know, you know, I'm not here necessarily to speak, you know, on theology and I don't know what your position is. Mm -hmm. uh, but me personally, I read uh, John chapter 10 where Jesus, <laughs> where, the, where the Jews are getting ready to crucify Jesus. And they said, not because you've done some evil thing, but because you being a man, make it yourself God. This is one reason why they wanted to crucify him because they understood his verbiage to mean that he was making himself equal with God. And yet we have people like Umar and scores of others who make the claim that it was Christians who deified Christ. No, Christ exposed his deity to us in the word during his own time. Um, and so once again, we have the early fathers, we have the, the, the written account of the people who were alive during that time or recently thereafter, the record that has been handed down to us in the testimony of the word. Somehow we have come to discount the word because unbelievers discount it, right? Unbelievers say we can't rely on it. And somehow that ideology, that mentality has slipped into the church and it's like, well, we don't want to rely on the Bible to prove for what? Why not? Like, isn't this the book of your faith? The Bible, I have no shame in saying the Bible says, okay, that Jesus, <laughs> that Jesus is the son of God. Um, and so what happened, what actually happened, if you don't mind, um, at the Council of Nicaea, and the reason why it even arose was because the, there was a guy who arose in Africa by the name of Arius in Egypt specifically. And he began to teach this doctrine that Jesus, while being a God, is not equal with God and that Jesus was a created being. Um, and that drew indignation from the clergy, from the church leaders, one in particular by the name of Athanasius. And Athanasius spent time, first he tried, you know, he followed the biblical way, Matthew 18. He sat down with the brother one-on-one. -on -one. Listen, bro. You got to stop teaching this nonsense. Here's what the Bible says. And um, he was un unable to persuade him. He moved on to the next step. Let's call a couple of other brothers in. Let's all sit down with him. Still, nothing happens. Hmm. Um, and so in the context of this happening, while this is going on, um, you know, secular things are still taking place. And one of those secular things is uh, Constantine then becomes ruler over all of the uh, Roman dominion. He was sharing his territory at one point. But, uh, but now he has sole authority. And he sees that this situation between Athanasius and Arius is causing a huge problem in the church. And um, in, his, in, in his, what do we call his secular, his physical territory. So these two African brothers, and I, you know, I don't want to say whether they were black or not, because I don't know. There are some church fathers who we know without a doubt are black, but they are African born. Um, I, I can say that much, right? Um, but it, it kept escalating. And it was for years, a couple of years, at least, before Constantine even got wind of what was going on because it wasn't relevant to him because he wasn't, you know, the man yet. Um, so Athanasius and, and Arius are going back and forth and it's escalating and Arius is telling other people and they're starting to doubt the deity of Christ and they're starting to, to change their perception of who Christ is. And this obviously cannot stand. This, this cannot be tolerated. We cannot have somebody um, change who God is or who we 
who we know God to be. Mm -hmm. And so this is the reason why the council was convened to put this issue to bed, to put it to rest. So Arius was allowed to speak his mind and give his side of the story and, you know, his interpretation of scripture or whatever the case is. And Athanasius and other bishops from all over the then known world came together. So there were lots of, you know, we had Asians, we had Africans. Um, I would even, I would even venture to say that Europeans were in the minority at this conference, this council that they had. And, and they hashed it out. They hashed it out under the direction of the Holy Spirit, and they came out with the Nicene Creed, which was their codification of what the official church doctrine is. So basically, if you're teaching something else, well, you could teach that, but that's not what we believe, and that's not what we believe the Bible is teaching. And so Arius was excommunicated, driven out of the church, basically, but he went on to other um, places in the, in the then known world, continuing to spread his what was now determined to be a heresy. But if you pay attention, if you read the historical documents, if you read the anti-Nicene um, councils or fathers, church fathers, that's the name of the book, anti with an E, anti-Nicene church fathers. If you read that and you see the context of what's going on, obviously Christianity has been in existence and there has already been a consensus, although not written down, although not, not, not even not written down, but not like a compact agreed upon, um, prior to this council at Nicaea. All Nicaea did was force us to make it an official document. Here's what we believe, even though the Bible already been saying this and we all been saying this for years, let's just put it down on paper because this fool wanna act crazy. <laughs> yeah, I think that's great. Cause thank you. Thank you for going into so much detail. And one thing that just strikes me as kind of funny is that people, usually people who don't know so much, who don't seem to really know much about Christianity or the Bible at all, seem to think that they are saying something new when they say, well, you know, you know, Jesus really isn't the son of God. And I'm like, well, do you know, like, bro, in the Bible, people don't believe that Jesus is the son of God. Like you don't have some, this is not a new idea. This is not a new struggle that people are, are having. Like people did not know <clears throat> Or did not they they struggled to believe that? And when I was I was talking about stumbling blocks earlier, I believe somewhere in um in, in one of the gospels, Jesus refers to his very nature. Christ crucified yeah. to the uh I forget I think it's uh to the Jews nonsense or something like that to the Gentiles nonsense to the Jews a stumbling block absolutely exactly he, he refers yeah. to his, his very nature as son of God is a stumbling block for people because yeah. people cannot get past that people have have been struggling since he first began his ministry and i mean not a lot not a lot uh not a lot about the world in terms of our uh, understanding of god has or our struggles with god has has really changed when people try to think that they're coming at us with some with some new with some new idea um can you can you list some of those uh or i guess any any books or or articles that um detail that anti-Nicene, those anti-Nicene works, and I guess that the back and forth between um, Athanasius and, and, and Arius? Yeah, so that book that I mentioned, the anti-Nicene um, um, Church Fathers, goes into great detail about it. Um, and there's another book also, it kind of touches on it. It's not explicitly about this, um, but um, how, Christ how Africa Shaped the Christian Mind by Thomas Oden. Yeah. Uh, it talks about not only this particular situation, but a lot of other rifts and persecutions and the development of Christianity. Uh, it's really, it's a really good read. It's a really informative um, a book to read, especially if you're just starting out. Um, and even if you're not just starting out, but it, it, it discusses some nuances, I think that other works don't necessarily discuss because it is written with the intent of highlighting the African presence of Christianity um, or the Christian presence in Africa prior to colonialism and all of these other things that we've come to associate it with. Yeah. And you, you mentioned that although we know that some of the, although we might not know that some of the church fathers were black or not, we do know that they're African born, but you did mention that there are some that we do know to have been black. Could you uh, let us know who, who those were? Yeah. So it's pretty much a consensus that Tertullian was black, but if you Google him, 
I'm telling you, you're going to get the whitest white sketch. There's no drawings of him, no paintings of him that exist um, contemporary from his time. But the whole whitewashing thing, and <laughs> they definitely do that. They definitely do that. Then there's another one um, who is the father of Christian monasticism. So think a monk, monastery, um, people secluding themselves, hermits. In the Christian context, his name is Shenut. Um, S-H-E-N-O-U-T-E. Uh, they're all variations of his name. But the reason why I'm confident in saying that this is a Black man is because he did not speak the lingua, um, lingua franca. He did not speak the dominant language or the European language. He spoke Copt, um, Coptic. Coptic is um, ancient Egyptian. So the language that is expressed in the hieroglyphs by the natives of Egypt or Kemet, um, we call that Coptic writing. It, it, and the people who are indigenous to that land continue to speak that language after you know the introduction of Christianity and whatnot. And so nowadays, it's actually associated explicitly with Christianity. Uh, but the reason I bring it up, once again, is because this is a language of the people who are indigenous to that land. We know that because it's Africa, they black. And so he even has a few of his writings that are still in existence. Um, and they were written in that original language. He did not speak any other language. And then we have Pacomius, who was another desert father, another, um, another uh, a monk, uh, who also wrote extensively on how to live and how to preserve your faith and how to preserve your body and mind to Christ and all of these things. And he is writing and speaking in Coptic. And so this is a black man. And one thing about Shenut too, is that he was known as a very aggressive type of individual. So I, I heard you saying um, about, you know, engaging in conversation and being driven by love. I absolutely 100% agree with that. I don't think that we should be in this just to win arguments or to prove somebody wrong. We're trying to tear down barriers. Uh, I do think also though that there are varied personalities and I'm not excusing being rude. It's never appropriate to be rude, but, but there is, I think sometimes a need for sternness, yeah. right? A need for boldness because oftentimes we have this idea that just because we are to be kind that we're supposed to be soft. <laughs> like it's not the same thing, right? You can be respectful yeah. and still um, be respected, right? So Shenud, he was a boss. Like he was, he was not tolerating. He was another one who ran against Arius and talked about Pacomius as well, went against Arius and his heresy. And he was very direct in his speech and people feared him. Um, not that he was beating people up, but mm. he was just that type of person. He had like a dominant personality, you know? Um, and so, yeah, so these are people that I, that I can speak from memory <laughs> that are definitely in my book, African because ain't no European finna go to Africa and learn how to speak Coptic and then only speak that doesn't make sense. And then you only speak the language Coptic. no. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> cool. Yeah. And I think thank you for uh for pushing back on um the whole piece about uh, whether or not how how we are supposed to approach the arguments. I guess um I didn't mean uh not so much not to be aggressive, but in terms of like what you said being rude and nasty, because a lot of times people will get rude and nasty with you. And like Jesus well People often, especially like I think in Christmas songs, talk about how Jesus was meek and mild. The Bible does talk about Jesus being meek and how meekness is a quality of a believer. But in terms of mild, Jesus was not mild. Um, because when you think just like if you take, if you drink a mild beverage, a mild beverage is something that's, that's, um, that's easy to drink. It's not a hard drink. And the, the, uh, the apostles were saying, are, are you know documenting the Bible saying, "Yo, Jesus, that was a that was a hard saying. Like, uh, we need to talk. <laughs> we need to talk to you about this because that that was hard to take. Jesus said things that was hard to take, and I think as believers, we we, I mean, yeah, we we get it. Like Christianity, like unless the Holy Spirit opens up your mind and your heart to believe, you cannot believe. Thanks. We are still, and, and, but we still have to say these hard truths, these realities." Um, and then like, we need, because I, I think it's so easy to start and say, oh, I'm walking love. So that means I'm gonna be timid and, and cowardly. Like, no, that, that is a, that is a, I guess I would say a perverted view of what, of what, um, God's love really is because God, God will love you enough to, to tell you the hard things. He, he, he loved those people enough to, to whip them out of the temple. <clears throat> and, and we, and we got to do the same. Um, one, I guess one, uh, a closing question. So you mentioned that 
you said Chanute and Pacomius. Mm-hmm. How do you spell Pacomius? Uh, so the anglicized version of his name is P-A-C-H-O-M-I-U-S. But his actual name was Pacom. Again, this is the African brother. And his name, I believe, I think, yeah, it's him, whose name actually means son of Horus. <laughs> and Horus being an Egyptian god. But he's a Christian. No doubt about that. We can tell that from his writings. Um, but I guess it's just interesting because um, another thing is that oftentimes we hear these names and they sound so European. They don't sound like no African name. Um, Shenut obviously sounds African, but um, let's say Tertullian or Athanasius or Arius or Alexander, these names do not sound African. And so we automatically write them off. Even the city Alexandria or... Um, Oh, there's a city listed in Acts. I can't, I can't recall the name of it. Cyrene is actually Libya. It's in Africa, but we, it doesn't sound African, so we don't associate them. And until you actually look up where they are, that's when you find out. And so the reason I say that is because, um, you know, our names even, <laughs> you will not be able to tell by a lot of people's birth names. Uh, okay, maybe not a lot because we are cultural. We do name our kids. <laughs> we do name our kids things that are like distinctively black, right? Yeah. But by and large, there are some people who, who you, can't tell, you can't tell where they're from or what their um, ethnicity is just by their name um, or just by the words that they use or their speech, right? So it takes other con- contextual clues to, to figure that out. But yeah, I think I went on a rant and I don't remember what you asked me. <laughs> no, no, no. I just asked how to spell his name and you gave a bunch of, bunch of other useful information. Um, so <clears throat> wrapping up now, you, in addition to just posting great content on your Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, um, I saw on your website that you have uh, a class or, or a course. Could you explain more about what that is and how people can look into that if they're interested yeah sure so um like i said it's life and death so i'm trying my best to educate people so that they're able to not be thrown off it's 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 multifaceted it's like a dual thing one so that you yourself are not rocked when somebody comes to you with these questions and two even if you are secure enough that no matter what anybody says you believe in jesus because you have a relationship with him and you don't care what constantine did there are people in your circle who may still need those answers. And mm-hmm. so I'm trying to equip you to be able to be that go-to person. Um, and so the course is Intro to Urban Apologetics. Um, urban Apologetics, apologetics being the defense of something. In this context, we're defending Christianity. You slap the urban on there. Urban is just whistleblower or uh, dog whistle rather for black. <laughs> it's the proper way to say black <laughs> apologetics. Um, uh, so I answer questions having to deal with um, slavery and Christianity, ancient Kemet and Christianity, um, even he- Hebrew Israelism. Um, I talk about biblical archaeology and what documents can we use to substantiate the events, not just not just manuscripts themselves, but the actual events that are being recorded. So like Jericho, uh, some of the people who are in there, some of the kings of Israel, what, what extra biblical sources do we have to prove that? So that's covered in the course as well. Um, and I add all the time, <laughs> like I initially planned for the course to be eight weeks and I had like nice little neat little package. And then I realized that I needed to take my time with these issues. And so, you know, it's, it's gone far beyond eight weeks. I think I'm listed now with my um, unit scheduling. It's about 20 weeks now. <laughs> so, so, but it's information like this. I put it in bite-sized chunks. I give you tons of resources so that you can go back and check it out. And that's going to be at courses.nefernity.com, N-E-F-E-R-N-I-T-T-Y.com. Perfect. And how can people keep up with you on social media? So my name, I try to, I try to keep it consistent. Um, if you want Facebook, it's going to have ESQ for Esquire at the end. Um, so facebook.com backslash Nefernity ESQ. Um, you can find me by that same at Nefernity ESQ on Instagram. My most, um, the platforms that I'm on the most, Definitely Facebook. That's the first place to reach me. If you want to get a message through to me, talk to me, Facebook is number one, um, then Instagram, and then YouTube. I try to post to YouTube at least once a week. Uh, I don't really use Twitter. I'm trying because I know there are people there. <laughs> I'm trying. It's just not as easy to me. I don't know why. But yeah, uh, on Twitter, I'm just Nefernity. And on YouTube, I'm just Nefernity without the ESQ. 
That's what's up. Well, thank you so, so much. I enjoyed this conversation and I'm sure that our listeners did as well. And I would, I'm pretty sure there's going to be times I'm already, I already got ideas in my head of, you know, other conversations I'd like to have with you, but um, just thank you so, so much for being here. Oh, no problem. Oh, can I just, if you allow me, I'm sorry. (laughs) There was something that you mentioned in the beginning and I was hoping we'd get around to it and I just want to address it. Um, you talked about Christianity being forced into our, onto our ancestors. Um, uh, yes, I forgot to get back to that. Yeah. And how we take that for granted as truth. And I've all my life, I believed it. I, up until about five years ago, I, 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 I just, I, I just, that's what, that's just the truth, right? That's what everybody mm-hmm. says. Even our immediate ancestors, even our immediate parents, our family, uh, our clergy, they tell us this, right? But I started investigating narratives, slave narratives, which is the firsthand accounts of slaves. And I wanted to see what their conversion stories were like. I wanted them to say, you know, this is what happened. This is how I became a Christian. And I'm looking for master beat me or master beat that other dude until he became a Christian. And then we all just started calling on Jesus. (laughs) But... (laughs) Because that's what they tell us, right? That's that, you know, there's a popular meme with a guy whipping a slave on a slave post and saying, say Jesus loves you. And then they fast forward 400 years and they say, now you're all in church singing, but this is the, this is the origin. And that's just not what I found. And it moves me almost to tears every time I talk about it because, because I believed that and it does such a dishonor to the memory of my ancestors and the people who not only were they not forced, I'm not going to say it never happened. I can't say that. I can't speak definitively, definitively that nobody was ever beaten into Christianity. Yeah. But what I can say is I haven't found it yet, especially in the United States. And I've spent now five years researching these narratives um, on my website, nephronity.com backslash resources. You'll, there's a section on slave narratives where you can read the words of the slaves themselves. Um, them talking about them sneaking into the woods to pray because if they got caught praying to Jesus, slave masters would whip them and their backs would be salted down. Um, Slaves who are confronting their slave masters and the slave master says, I dare you to go to church again. If you do it again, I'm gonna kill you. And the response is, you gonna have to kill me, bro, because I'm going, I'm going back to church and I'm praying to Jesus. And so the real story, and I'm sorry if I'm taking away from a conversation you may have wanted to have before, but you touched it, so it triggered me. Um, um, but the real story, the truth of the matter, the verifiable documented history is that slave masters originally did not want their slaves to be exposed to Christianity at all in the United States at all, because they believed that it would embolden us and make us resistant to slavery, to our condition of slavery. One, two, initially it was illegal for one Christian to enslave another. So they had an incentive to keep Christianity away from us because they thought, and, and some of us in the, in the beginning did, challenge our condition of servitude by, by reason of us having been Christian. So there are Christians who took their, Christian slaves who took their masters to court and said, you're not supposed to be able to enslave me and, and challenge their, their, their condition. Um, but by and large, what we find in the narratives is the slave masters didn't want it. They tried their best to keep it from us. When they did give it to us, they gave us some other version or took parts out of the Bible. But there were always a remnant of European descendants, European Americans who felt it impressed upon their spirits to get the message to the slaves or God himself would step in and their slave quoted as saying, uh, Brother Walsh is one of them. He, he says, I guess something inside just told us that about God because the white man didn't want us to have neither an education nor any religion. I've read narratives of people on plantations saying that they heard the voice of the Lord speaking to them. This is their conversion story. They were converted directly by the Holy Spirit, not because of, their, not because of the slave masters, but in defiance of them. And so now they have to fight against the slave master trying to take Jesus away from them. But somehow, hundreds of years later, here we are saying that it was beaten into them when the reality of the matter is they were trying to beat it out of us. So I just I wanted to leave that with y'all because it, it, when I first read the story of one of these um, slaves, I hate using the word slaves, but that's what the condition was. Yeah. He was talking about how he had come home from church. And the master said, didn't I tell you about going to the meetings? And he said, if you're going to beat me, just beat me. So he does. 
And this happens multiple times. And then he says that when the master pulled down the, the cowhide off of the wall, because, you know, they use like the cat of nine tails thing um, to beat him, the blood, it was still stiff from the blood from the last time he was beaten with it. And he was willing to endure such suffering to be able to call himself a Christian. So black church history is not what people are trying to make it out to be. Um, God has spoken directly to us. And uh, I, I just want to challenge people that first of all, when somebody brings some new information to you, challenge them. Don't just take their word for it. I don't care who it is. Not even me. Don't listen to nothing I just said without taking notes and going to fact check and see if what I said was true yeah. or not. You know, but I also want to let believers know that you can be confident and comfortable in your faith because there's an answer to everything. There's an answer. The truth is out there. The truth always prevails. And if you dig deep enough, you'll always come back to Christ if what you're seeking is the truth. Amen. Um, and just to corroborate some of what you said. So I, I know one of the guests on the Jew 3 podcast, her name is uh, Dr. Catherine Gerbner, she wrote a book called Christian Slavery, Conversion and Race in the Protestant Atlantic World. And she detailed exactly what you just said. And it was one of the most powerful moments that I have experienced in my Christian life, which was because in my mind, just like, just like with you, I, it, was, it was fact. Christianity was forced on us. And, that, and not, not only was it forced on us, but that was the part of the original plan of of american slavery but just like you said like people were like uh, when when uh, missionaries who always who always wanted to you know mission uh, share the gospel with as many people as possible see these enslaved people and they're like oh we can share the gospel with them and then initially um american and i guess uh the slave owners in the colonies were like no 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 we you can't you can't uh evangelize to them and unlike um, unlike what most people tell us was they're like, you know, we, we, uh, were forced to accept Christianity because it would pacify us. Well, they said, no, you can't have, we can't have Christian slaves one because they will not stand. They, they, they will not allow us to, to, to enslave them. They're going to, they're going to revolt. They're going to fight back, which is completely counter to what, to what we are told. And it was only, uh, she, she explains it in more detail, but it was only later on that, um, to to combat slave owners resistance to to these missionaries that the missionaries just to be allowed on on uh, the plantations they changed what mm -hmm. they were said that they were preaching they were like okay well actually you know if we preach the gospel it'll, it'll actually make them pass up this is after years and years and years this is not this is this was not the initial stance um and even like you said when they did get when, when they were uh, allowed to receive any sort of gospel teaching, uh, it was, they had whole portions of the Bible redacted um, and taken, uh, taken out of context. Um, but man. And you know, what's interesting too, is that you could never pull the wool over our eyes. I, I read the narratives and I don't know, I, I personify these people in my mind. Right. And I, I, I kind of like give them modern speech. So I'm going to break it down to you in modern language. You, we got people like Frederick Douglass who says that he would never, he said he loves the, the, the peaceable and lovable Christianity that is found in Christ, but he would never call the Christianity of the slave masters. He wouldn't even call it Christianity. So there are narratives, there are stories of slaves sitting down, listening to what the white preacher comes to say and just like, mm -hmm, okay, yeah, bro. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as he leaves, they go to their real preacher and <laughs> But they're preaching the same quote unquote religion, right? But they understand, they know, they're not stupid. They know that there is an agenda and they see right through this whole rules of you trying to tell me that God thinks I'm a second class citizen. From the beginning, they've, it has never been, I don't know how we got this idea that our ancestors were somehow dumber than us. Like a lot of people who are conscious and who push this narrative of, well, it was forced onto us. They paint the picture as though our ancestors were, were less intelligent or less capable of making decisions for themselves. Gullible. Exactly. Exactly. But they were not, that's just not what the record reads. So I just, I found that very interesting as well. Yeah. That's awesome. Thank you. Thank you so, so much. Um, like I said, regardless of, you know, the, the tangent that you went on, like there's going to be more conversations 
for okay. us to hear. I, I am I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I just couldn't oh. like, ah. It is, it is welcome. Um, Thank you. I mean, really, real talk. I mean, this is kind of one of my shorter episodes, so you are all the way good. Okay. Um, yeah. Um, thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you for your passion. I thank you for your submission to, to the call to contend for the gospel. Um, I'm looking forward to what you, um, to the, the continued development of your class uh, and what you post in the future and then your continued work. And um, hopefully we can stay in, in, in touch and Absolutely. do some more, some more collaborations. Um, but thank you. Thank you Thank for you inviting so me and having me. I appreciate it, brother. I told y'all she was dope. Really, though, this is one of those episodes that I knew I had to go back to and re-listen to because she drops so, so many nuggets that I wanted to look into on my own. And she said herself that you shouldn't take her word for it, but you should go back and fact checker look into the resources that she shared i'm definitely going to i'm looking up specifically some of those black church fathers that that she mentioned and i'm also just wanted to look up some of those some slave narratives on my own, of my own regarding specifically their conversion to christianity but that was so dope that's it for the episode but you know how we always do always end with a word of prayer so, Lord God, I just give you glory, honor, and praise. Thank you so much for bringing me and Nephi and I together. Um, thank you for allowing us to have this conversation. Thank you for revealing the truth to us, Lord. I'm, I thank you, Lord, that you have an answer for everything. I thank you, Lord God, that the lies that we were told about Christianity being forced on enslaved Africans is not true, Lord God. We know that since Pentecost... We know that since Pentecost, Christianity has been in Africa. I pray, Lord, that the people who need to hear this information hear it, to hear this revelation, to hear this truth. Father God, send it to whoever needs it. In the mighty name of Jesus, we thank you and praise you. Amen. So definitely go follow nephi on instagram facebook follow her youtube page and if you are so inclined go ahead and hit up her her urban apologetics course and let me know how it goes i am thinking that that's definitely going to be something on my to-do list i'm definitely down for for 20 weeks uh if i can get more of what she was sharing today so uh, until next time, save the woke fam, keep the faith and stay woke.